This is The Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck and with me is Blake, laboured analogy Curtis. What's it? And Derek Subtle is a sledgehammer Armstrong. <laughs> this there we ep- go. <laughs> this episode is called Oh Mother, Where Art Thou in Plot? And that's because we'll be talking about Darren Aronofsky's new film, Mother! Here's a synopsis for the film that I found somewhere on the internet. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. From filmmaker Darren Aronofsky, Mother stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer in this riveting psychological thriller about love, devotion and sacrifice. Just a quick warning, we will be spoiling as much of the film as we possibly can. So if you haven't seen this film or for some reason you don't like hearing about the plots of films that you have seen, we recommend you stop listening now. Uh, who to choose? Blakey, what did you think of Mother? Uh, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I, was like, I wasn't sure what the reading of the room would be and how it Oh, no, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was coming from you because I read your review. but I, wasn't I didn't sure read your review, but I, I read the little... Synopsis on the front, and you I knew. Stay out of my reviews, Blakey. You, well, I can't win. It's either you're upset <laughs> no, that I actually, don't read no, it, and then sorry. you're upset that I, I do read I it. I actually am. Uh, yeah, glad you read it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Blake's right. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, at, at first, it really, enjoy is that the right word? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I understand it's an experience. It it's was an experience. Really an experience. Yeah. So you thought it was good as well, Derek? Oh, it's I'm still I'm still piecing it together. I mean, there's there's an unlimited number of possible interpretations of this film, I think. Uh, like literally unlimited. And I'm interested to hear what Blake's primary interpretation of it is if there is one. Yeah, well, um my first interpretation was that it was about a couple, um, and just their relationship and obviously the house was a metaphor for their relationship, obviously because it belonged to him and she was giving so much to him. And I thought that that was the whole idea of this idea of her helping this man back up on his feet, um, helping build the house again and in come these strangers and Javier Bardem's character, who's named him, yeah. wants to keep them and yeah. wants them to stay and she doesn't. And I thought that was really fascinating about like talking about a relationship and going through something really traumatic with someone and repairing it with them and then losing them and having someone else come in and kind of mess it up. It's weird. It's kind of like a psychological thing, but it's it's kind of like, I don't know, in the past, I know that I felt like that with friendships and relationships and family members. It's it's kind of when other people come in, you do feel that your your point or your perspective is lessened. And so the metaphor all of that in the house for me blew my mind. But then it went even further because there was a lot. There's a line in the film where she, when the crowd, the masses are in there, and he's become this big iconic religious figure, where one of them's tearing off the wall, and she goes, "Why are you doing that?" And he goes, "So everyone knows that I was here." Mm-hmm. And that moment, I was like, "What? That doesn't match up to why I think what this I think this film is about." Mm-hmm. And so then it just took it to a whole new level. I was like, "Holy shit!" They're talking about humanity. They're talking about like when um, when Ed Harris's son dies mm-hmm. in the film, and he and Javier Bardem gives this beautiful speech of, um, "See, even in crying, there is that beauty," and it's this idea of like. Even in all of this badness and this mess, there is a goodness mm. in there, which I think was represented with the end of the film with the baby. I could go on and on and on about this. Well, it, blew, it really blew me away. Well, I handball it to Derek. Yeah. Well, sorry. What? I'm going to handball it to you. Yeah. Well, AFL terms. Sorry, so, so I think the attempt to find 
um, any literal meaning in this film is almost futile because I think this is one of the first films I can remember seeing that I think almost nothing in it can be said to have definitely happened. Um, and almost all of it is pure metaphor, um, which I actually think, which I usually would like it to be tethered to reality in some way. But in this case, I really found it just like kind of this jolt of expression, this jolt of anger and rage and confusion and black comedy and absurdity. But I think I come out on the end of it saying, I don't know if any of these people really exist. I don't know if some of them exist and the others are figments of their imagination. I don't know if it's all some kind of twisted reality or if it's all in somebody's head. So I think we should tell, just describe a little bit more kind of the, the narrative thrust of this film. It's basically, as you said, it starts with these two people refurbishing their house. He's a writer. She is taking charge of refurbishing the house. Some surprise fans of his work show up, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer's Ed Harris's husband or wife, excuse me, their sons eventually show up. They, they, they behave brutishly and awfully in the house. Mm. Their sons arrive almost immediately. One of the sons kills the other son. Which is, <laughs> have you, and you've heard of the biblical metaphor apparently with oh, all of that? that? That certainly makes sense. Yeah. Well, then there's a wake and... held in their house with, that turns into some kind of weird raucous party where the Jennifer Lawrence's character is being propositioned. Mm. Then there's, she gets pregnant and there's this whole second part where he becomes kind of a messiah. It is off the wall. This movie is crazy. Um, I think... And there's all sorts of imagery of burning, of, of rebirth, of feeling like a stranger in your own life, um, of the fears of impending parenthood, of the, the fears of losing your creative spouse to yeah. their adoring public and not having well, time for them. Or even their work as well. But it's like all of it is could be but, purely but, a metaphor. But you I think know? the whole movie is analogy and there's no connection to reality. It's just, it, 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 to me, it wasn't even a film. It was all just... It, it was, it was, yeah, all analogy, and whether you know, whether it's open for interpretation in all sorts of ways, sure. But there's nothing, nothing that happens in the film is connected to reality in any way. From any of the reactions, does that, that matter? Uh, I think it does. Yeah, as a, as a way way of engaging me with it, with it. I think if if yeah, it was personal more engagement as a measure, yeah, that, to- totally. Yeah. And I think like for an allegory, allegory to be effective, I think there needs to be a connection to reality. And this was just. So detached from anything that could have it, ever happened, it was like on a mental vomit by Darren Aronofsky, essentially. But in a good way. I don't think Darren, Darren Aronofsky is as clever as Darren Aronofsky thinks he is, and I don't actually think he's got anything to say about any of the things that he he's putting on the table here. I think he's, you know, putting them on the table and then not commenting on anything. And so, like, it, 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 the main allegory that I took from it was this, the big religious one, uh, uh, and uh, with her being Mother Earth, him being God, Adam Cain and, and Abel, like I said, Adam and Eve, yeah. and um, sort of the idea that God is constantly recreating the Earth and destroying it. Yeah. And I, I, firstly, I don't think that allegory is particularly interesting. I, I, it, it, it felt like something that, like, a, a, a high school student would, would have to say. And I actually also don't think he said anything interesting in regards to that metaphor. Well, I, I had a friend who saw it. Um, I saw it only about 24 hours ago. And then I had a friend who's even seen it more recently than that. And I was discussing it with him online today. And he came up with a couple of theories that I want to give him credit for. One of which is that this makes kind of an interesting sequel to Noah, which is Aronofsky's last film, which mm-hmm. would could not on the surface seem to be any more different. That's a big kind of biblical Hollywood epic with Russell Crowe in it. This is like this crazy kind of like screed out of his mind. But my friend's idea was this is what 
mankind does with its second chance. Mm. Like, this is, like, the mess mankind makes. Because there's so much stuff in this film about the ways that human beings are essentially discourteous to each other. Mm. Like, I love, like, the characters of Ed Harris and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, I think are the kind of the most interesting things going on. They're just completely oblivious. Ed Harris is always smoking inside, even though she asks him not to. Michelle Pfeiffer shows up. Michelle Pfeiffer is, I think, probably the best thing in this film. She is absolutely frightening and and terrific. And she's just immediately like giving the evil eye to Jennifer Lawrence's character and just basic rules of courtesy are like non-existent for her. Totally, but all the pieces are there. But I like I, I, there was just no engagement for me. And I think it would have actually been better served if it was more connected to something that was plot like, you know, possible. See, one of the things that I find interesting about that comment is this film reminds me a lot of a film that we talked about a couple of podcasts. Oh, I wasn't present, but we talked about a couple of podcasts. Absolutely. Ago in a ghost story. Yep. And you guys all seem to rave about that, and I'm interested what you feel that that had that this doesn't. Because in a lot of ways, I don't think there was a lot... Again, a ghost story kind of just presents a comment, uh, presents an, a theory without commenting. Oh no! But I think I think the the reactions of the the characters and uh, obviously, you know, I don't think what happened to the ghost in a ghost story is possible. But, but there was elements of reality in the in the reactions of the characters and or even the reaction of the ghost itself. Whereas I don't think anything in Mother reflects reality. So you just at all. needed a, like a, a human face well, to understand. Well, what possibly, you were... which is something that I don't think. Like I, I, I think would... you're meant to assume that most of the things that happen in, go, in a ghost story are really happen. The only the only things that are fantastical in any way are the fact that there's a ghost observing it. Well, everything that happens in a ghost story, you're meant to believe, really happens. And I, I, Whereas it's possible that nothing really happens in this. The, but, but it's possible anyway, that the nothing really happens in a ghost story. Uh, well, but uh, that's not what the film is presenting us, I don't think. I think ghost story is presenting itself as being to be taken literally, whereas this is to be is taking metaphorically. But I agree with you. It's like it's like a ghost um, tethered to a house, potentially. Like that's Jennifer Lawrence's character is potentially dead. Yeah. A ghost tethered to her house. And there's a cyclical nature to it as well, which we also see in a ghost story with things, events starting over again and going back to the beginning. So, so one thing I did like yeah. about Mother is, uh, and it only really hit me afterwards, if you were, if you were taking um, the uh, uh, religious uh, metaphor or analogy to be the principal one, which I did, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that's the, and like you said, Derek, there yeah. are multiple ways of interpreting this movie, but I took that as the principal sort of metaphor. It sort of positions itself as an anti-Rosemary's baby in the sense that, like, uh, it's God who's, you know, pregnating this woman. It's, it's you know, uh, uh, as opposed to the devil. Yeah. But to me, Rosemary's Baby was a compelling film and this one wasn't. And it, it, this could have been, like, this, this... It's like it had all the elements there except it wasn't a film at all to me. It, it was just... You, you know what? It was what just I, a series of concepts and ideas and things and it... it, it I, I, would, I wouldn't it's even like, call this movie a, a film. It kind of makes me think of so Jack, so um, Ed Harris. It's a smorgasbord of, of ideas. Ed Harris starred in the the biopic about Jackson Pollock, right? Yeah. This is kind of like a Jackson Pollock painting. Like a lot of things are just thrown out there on the canvas, saying, "Here, make of it what you will." But I think there's some kind of demented genius in there that is being I agree. being executed, yeah. and whether what, what it amounts to, whether it amounts to something concrete. Um, or not, I think that you you can't possibly have one interpretation of this film that would be correct. There is no, there's never going to be a definitive interpretation of this film. I would say that that suggests that all others don't exist, and I think that is is a is going to be a problem, a sticking point for some people. I think that but, works in its favor. Because yeah, I do too. Like yeah. what this reminded me of as well is the the novel A Hero with a Thousand Faces, 
I don't know that. Faces. Yeah. I can't remember which one it is. Like. Some larger number of faces. Anyway, more than more than one. Yeah. More than your normal <laughs> amount of faces. Anyway, it's this book um, that uh, lots of filmmakers are encouraged to read. George Lucas read it and then went on to do Star Wars. Yeah. It's this concept that there are universal elements in stories yeah. that um, people can relate to and what will make a, a story successful is constant elements that we understand. And what I find really fascinating about this film is they took the universal elements of understanding a story on a relationship level because mm-hmm. you've got the relationship of Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence and then he he creates bigger worlds outside of it because as you said in those interpretations it can be an interpretation of a relationship between two people and then it can be a, a bigger one where it's commenting on the world and the but way I don't think they were, I, I actually the didn't think that, sorry and then it can go even larger from mm-hmm. a religious point of view and talk about fame and, and the way humanity exists. But my problem was I don't think it was talking about or commenting on anything. It was just it, it, it was just there. What about the creative process? So that's why I thought this might interest you because there's elements of this that are involved with Char- that, that are in common with Charlie Kaufman's work. I'm not going to say adaptation necessarily, mm. but it definitely Eternal Sunshine. The scenes where the memory Joel's memory is breaking down in Eternal Sunshine, and like the set is ripping away, and people are walking through it. That's very almost literally recreated in this film, yeah. where it's like all of a sudden there are crowds of people around that you've never seen before, and you don't know how they got there the or when one, they got there. That's that's like stuff out of Eternal Sunshine, out of Synecdoche, New Eternal York, Sunshine, to some degree. In Eternal yeah. Sunshine, that shit was connected to this guy's memory whereas these people would and do you know my other problem with this film is i spent the whole time trying to think about what it was about and i i don't think any interpretation made the film any better and by the time i came to the conclusion it was up to me to put my own interpretation on it i don't think it it wasn't satisfying enough to justify having sat through two extremely unpleasant hours and it's such an unpleasant movie Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's I, an I assault. Such a great time. I did too. I, it's an, I was tingling most of the time. Yeah, I thought it was like an assault, but I thought, but I like a film to assault me if it's doing if it's doing it in a provocative way mm-hmm. and not just for the purpose of like bludgeoning me or something like yeah. that. You know, I didn't think it was just bludgeoning me because it's not. Some of it is quite funny. Mm-hmm. Like there's 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 extremely dark shit that happens in this, but there's also Jennifer Lawrence just has these little looks on her face sometimes, like. How in the world is this thing happening right now? Mm. And it's like you couldn't help but feel that. I mean, she was like the ultimate audience surrogate in a way. Yeah, like you're like you're but, in this world just as she is going. What the fuck is happening? I Why are all these people here? What's even, going on? Even the way <laughs> she behaved didn't reflect like, like reality. Like there was so much stuff going on, and I think it, it sort of tricked you into thinking that like, oh, you yeah, know, she's reacting how we would. But she like her behavior didn't reflect. She's reality an either. uptight person, though. She's an uptight person experiencing a loss of control that she can't um, reconcile. And I think that's the main thing. And some of that is like impending fears of parenthood. The film is called Mother. We have to look at that, that why that was chosen. She's the mother of the house. She's the mother of an impending mother baby, nature. whatever. But she's fighting Old it, it too. Like, like the whole thing about how like she kept on, keeps on telling people to get off the sink because it's not braced properly and finally it breaks. That is like a conversation that a mother has with a child. Like, get stop playing on that sink. You're going to break it. They well, do break it. It's like this is all this is – this could all be read as pent-up anxiety over becoming a parent. Well, I thought you know? I thought that one then, scene yeah. when she's telling the people to get off the uh, off the sink and whatever, it was almost like a new type of horror, which is like hospitality horror. It was like yeah. the best yeah. of – Times you have people over your house and they just act like assholes, and I thought. But, that, but know, then it's like it's cool. so bizarre too. They're also painting the house, and which is like supposedly a positive thing, but it's all just absurd. It's like I don't have control. I don't even have control of these projections that I'm having of my own anxiety. Yeah, and, you know? that's, <laughs> and that's what I think is so fascinating is because on the smallest scale, and that's what I was saying. It works on so many layers. Is 
I understand that concept because I'm quite, you know, when people come into my house, I'm quite kind of anally yeah. rete- like retentive to all that kind yeah. of shit as well. Yeah. And so it works on that one level where, and that was the level that I came into the film on. I'm going to start fucking up your house. <laughs> and that's kind of the level I came in on. And, and then, but then I realized when it was talking about the way humans treat the earth, yeah, that that's the metaphor and like the, the concept of like how humans are treating the earth and how, and he said that he wrote this film in five days and he, Wrote it because of the way the world is currently. And he, he referenced like the two dolphins in South America that they photographed and they died because so many people were taking selfies on it. And the bitch, he just had all this pent up emotion well, and anger and frustration. Like you said, that the character couldn't do anything about it. And there's and all these contradictions, all of that like, was like, in like it. this that the, the expression that life is a series of contradictions that you can't do anything about. Like, so on the one hand, they're destroying the house, but they're also painting it. Like, it's like it's all just so chaotic. And I think. I think back to Aronofsky himself, like th- whether whether this film is ultimately successful or a failure, and I think that's up to individual to to interpret. Aren't you glad to see him produce something like this after come after making Noah this bloated like uh, uh, biblical story that like was is not fun at all and not. With the, with no. the exception of Black Swan, I've never been happy to see Aronofsky produce anything. I've wow. really the disliked wrestler? all... Uh, uh, I don't mind The Wrestler. I Requiem? think the ending's fantastic. Oh, let's not spoil our top three. <laughs> Requiem for a... Dr- uh, yeah. Yeah. Requiem for a Dream is just... That's an assault. So well. full on. And like someone yeah. smokes a joint and gets their arm cut off. And like, <laughs> anyway, I haven't seen it in years. I can't yeah, really remember yeah. it. But I remember not liking it. Yeah. <laughs> and But yeah, I, for me, the other thing that I really liked about this film is again referencing a ghost story is my favorite bit of a ghost story is when that guy in the kitchen is talking about if we could take a part of humanity and the world was destroyed and we were able to take i think he maybe mentions beethoven or something like that yeah. if we take that out and it doesn't and he does that big speech for me this yeah. film was that when yeah. they take that crystal and that love and that love gets to exist through to the next world and carry on and we're doomed to repeat it I almost feel like, like, like I almost feel like you're more optimistic about what the film is saying than I am. I feel like I'm this not. film is is pretty jaded and pretty des- despairing about the possibility of any of this stuff coming out well. And like, and you know, ultimately, her character has to die at the end and then be reborn again. My friend that I also credit gave had the idea that it's all about Javier Bardem's creative process and that that she might just be the protagonist in the next story that he's writing. Yeah. And so he burns down the story at the end. And that's basically finishing the work. Yeah. And then he starts it again with a new one. I mean, that's basically his or whole even, creative or even process. A relationship. And like, that's what I'm saying. There's so many, there's just a human element yeah. of jealousy and all the, the, the anger and bit selfishness and not wanting to let other people in. Yeah. And that's something I relate to. Cause I, you know, this concept of not wanting to let other people into your world because they're going to ruin it yeah, in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah. And couldn't, that seemed to be her biggest Yeah, that was her anxiety. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't you make the argue though, argument, though, that if it's about everything, it's also about nothing? Like, yeah, and that's why I think it's so beautiful. But, but, but that's, that what our, our, but that's what our circle That's what art is. All these trick is is just to sort of like give you enough to go on, and then you're like... like but the, so, but, so, but, but don't it, you think any abstract art is that? Like any abstract art is something that you have to put your own... Uh, interpretation into and I think this is as close as films get to abstract art you know there's uh, there's plenty of other examples of abstract art out there but this is in terms of like a mainstream film with a cast mm. and just like saying this is just my this is how, I don't I'm not going to be held accountable for what happens from scene to scene and scene here it's your 
up, it's up to you to interpret it and figure out what it means to you. It could be about everything. It could be about nothing, but it's provocative and it's doing something. I can see what you mean. And I, 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 I certainly think you, you, you both have valid points and I didn't hate the movie. I think I get, yeah. get five out of six or six out of 10. And I think, um, my problem was I didn't get enough out of it to justify how awful it made me feel. And <laughs> it just left me feeling a bit cold. Yeah. That's fair. Top three. Yeah, would you like to introduce? I'll go first, sure. Oh yeah, it's a. I we didn't know what to do this week. I I made a joke of let's do the best, the top three Darren Aronofsky or Jennifer Lawrence films. So, <laughs> I like so the artwork no one, one no one opposed yeah. to me. No yeah. one opposed to me on it. So. I like the artwork one too. You should have backed me up on that. My suggestion. I, I haven't even seen well, the poster you, for top, it. You caved quite quickly, so I was like, oh, well, well, D- Derek, Derek, okay. Derek, Derek. Can I tell you though? You can't go against Derek. <laughs> A top three about poster art is not that good on, a, on, like on an audio fun. medium where you can't see anything. But it, it's just a top three for the sake of it. And then, you know, you're encouraging people to go out and look at those interesting posters. And well, you, shouldn't, you, shouldn't right. have, you shouldn't yeah. have caved into my idea so easily. But we I'm a softie you didn't even come, say anything, Blake. I'm a softie <laughs> when it comes to you, Derek. So I can't back up an idea that's been caved on. Um, this we, is going to be should... our last episode ever, guys. <laughs> right, I, think the, I, think the, I think the lesson is that I should stop choosing the top threes. No, I like that. <laughs> we forget when you don't choose and we just... Yeah. <laughs> we just this just is the first time that I've ever remembered to even like look into my top three before <laughs> the episode started. Anyway. But you should also say why this is the top three. Because oh. I don't think we noted that... Well, Darren Aronofsky is the director and writer. They're and... also dating, though. I thought that was part of it. Oh. I... You didn't know that? I did not know no, that. No, they started dating because of this film. Isn't he like 20 years older than her? Yeah. Well, I think, well, that's why it's oh, yeah. also a bit of like... Is he uh, Javier Bardem? Okay. Yes. Well, that's another another layer. Just to sleep with Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence? <laughs> another I layer mean. of interpretation. Did you say Jennifer Lopez? Lawrence. All right. Yeah. Okay. I make yeah. it from <laughs> Yeah. Go Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so I'll go first then. Um, so, my, so, uh, so I did choose both Lawrence and Aronofsky films in my top three. And my number three is Winter's Bone, um, the film from 2010 that introduced us to Lawrence, really. Um, and it, it's this odyssey through the Ozark Mountains in the um, rural um, uh, middle Atlantic in the U.S. And boy, she owns it. She's trying to find her drug-addicted father who needs to put up some money for their house nut to get sold and she has to keep track of a couple kids and boy it's just a, sh- a pure shot of cinematic brilliance and I there's think. a yeah. scene like there's a scene in that film that I always think about the scene in the boat uh, the end oh uh, man yeah. like, that's horrifying yeah, the, the scene I remember of that I think John Hawkes absolutely slays it in that movie great. and that fantastic. scene when they're in the barn or something they're like they're all anticipating this guy rocking up and yeah. then like you've heard about this character for so long and he yeah. finally arrives it's just such a good entrance we yeah. need more of him like he's everywhere. good isn't he he's yeah. so John Hawkes is good he'll yeah. be listening John um, we like it yeah. <laughs> number two uh, my number two is a title that will appear on least one on the list I think Requiem for a Dream uh, which is the film that that landed Aronofsky. I mean, Pi. We were introduced to him by Pi, but Pi, I think, is a bit um, obscure in some ways. Requiem for Dreams said, "You will not sleep again." I mean, this is like a nightmare of a film about drug addiction and addiction in general, and it is like you love it or hate it, you cannot forget it. I'm dying for another viewing of it. It's it's a crazy film that makes you feel uncomfortable and awful and also exhilarated, and it's I think it's great. And my number one is actually his most realistic film, which is the the uh, real exception in his career, which is The Wrestler, which was my favorite film of 2008. Um, incredible performance by Mickey Rourke. I'm still annoyed that Sean Penn beat him at the Oscars. Um, is that for Milk? 
Yes. Sean Penn was pretty good in Milk, and I hate Sean Penn, and I still think he deserved that Oscar. Yes. Well, that's that's fine. Mickey Rourke <laughs> never Mickey Rourke's never gonna get another chance to win that, and and he, yeah. that's he's never gonna have another performance like that. And um, I just love lo- loved meeting that character and learning about him. And it's it's a, it's amazing to me when a director can make films as different as The Fountain and The Wrestler, and those were two consecutive films by Darren Aronofsky, which indicates that this is a guy to pay attention to. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Top three. Um, I was wondering whether you can put Mother in the top three or not. Yeah. I always exclude the title that we're talking about at the moment. So yeah. Too, yeah. But Mother would definitely be in my top three, yeah. uh, if not. Um, my number three is American Hustle, um, mm. which is a Jennifer Lawrence film that I just had so much fun watching that film. I'm a big sucker for Christian Bale, and I think he, as soon as I saw him with his big fat gut at the beginning of that, I was hooked. And Jennifer Lawrence. Gets you every time. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for that bail <laughs> guy. <laughs> um, How many times has he lost weight or gained weight for a film? Yeah, like it's pretty scary. A dozen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my number two is uh, Black Swan. Um, yeah. That really hit me for six. Black Swan and the rest of them were originally meant to be the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the crazy. Same film, which yeah. again, like imagine creating a film that, or writing a script that has so much substance that you can split it into two. Yeah. I find that incredible. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Like I still am not entirely sure what was again what was reality and what wasn't in that. Oh film. no! I, I mean that wonder. that really speaks to Mother too. I think that film Black yeah. Swan's got a lot of anxiety built up into it. Yeah. And, and just as a side note, I've always wondered what's happened with Mila Kunis after that. I feel like she, she was good at that. She was she? fantastic. Oh, she she's... got nominated for an Oscar, and then what? Now she's on Jim Beam commercials and did. Ascending oh, she's Jupiter or whatever. The yeah, Jupiter I think she's she's in the Bad Moms movies, which are good. Well, I've, are only mean, one of them has actually been released. Like oh, I love Bad Moms. <laughs> uh, Bad Moms 2 hasn't actually come out yet, so I can't say if Bad Moms 2 is good. But, but I feel like she she's like, around. She's she was around. on the way to being like somebody and then kind of did nothing. Like, now she's just a big, dirty nobody. Yeah, she's a big Jim Bean drinking... <laughs> Dirty mum, apparently. Pathetic, nobody, multi millionaire Mila Kunis. Yeah. You've just you've blown it. Mila. You're not welcome on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and number one is the same as you, the wrestler. Yeah. Uh, I used to, uh, I still kind of keep tabs on wrestling. I loved it as, when I was younger, and it was awesome to kind of get a film that really spoke and spoke to the reality of the lives that these people lived. Yeah. Um, it kind of just yeah hit me for six, and it still does. I really want to watch that. Film it's again. great. Yeah. I'm still reeling about just. Like Mila Kunis is just pathetic life choices. <laughs> uh, I actually think I need to rewatch The Wrestler. Um, I remember thinking the ending was amazing, and then just sort of being left cold by the rest of it. Uh, I really struggled with this top three because I don't like Darren Aronofsky at all, um, and I couldn't really find many good Jennifer Lawrence like movies either. I think Jennifer Lawrence is in a whole lot of like pretty good movies. So my third what about Mockingjay Part Two. Well, I actually didn't. I <laughs> know. Uh, hold on, I didn't mind the second Hunger Games, but apart from that, but my 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 number three is a movie I don't even really like that much, which is Silver Linings Playbook, which That's is good. I like it. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, she's hey, great. I'm totally. Fine actually, with I, think, it. I think I like it better than yeah. did good. I think it was actually my number three of that year. Yeah, I think yeah. it's you know sure Silver Linings Playbook. I'll watch mm-hmm. it. My number two is I actually really like, and it's the only Darren Aronofsky movie I like. It's Black Swan. Yeah, even though it does make uh, Swan Lake a lot more intense, or seem a lot more intense than that uh, ballet actually is. Uh, I oh, I see. You're just in it for the classical music, aren't you? Yeah, I'm quite cultured, Derek. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that about me. Um, sure, Miller Kunis. Uh, yeah, it's a shame she's in it because she's just so pathetic as a human. <laughs> Drinking I, all that Jim Beam. I struggle to watch someone who drinks so much Jim Beam with so few life prospects. <laughs> And like, I wonder, like, when's really, that seventy show movie coming out? Like, how did she go down that role of just 
just pathetic and it really medicine. irks me because I think she's quite talented and it hurts yeah. my inside and she's just nothing uh, I think that song's great uh, I think it's a really um, uh, interesting look at um, um, uh, dedication to uh, uh, Path um, and my number one is Winter's Bone which I think is a, su- yeah. a super cool modern western Jennifer Lawrence is super cool in it uh, John Hawkes is super cool in it I watched it in my undies in a hostel in Sri Lanka too much nice. information I was only so wearing my. Undies. I was the only one that had Requiem for a Dream on my list. Okay. Yeah, well, I haven't watched it since I was a kid, and a lot of the stuff horrifying went over, went over my head as a child. So Can I tell it gets points for not having a six-year-old. <laughs> Can I tell you? I, I I actually took a date to Requiem for a Dream. It was like our third <laughs> whoa, whoa, date. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Had that pan out. <laughs> I hadn't seen it, so I didn't know. But no, with the date, you meant. What? How did it go? What? Yeah. How did it end? She yeah. was crying. <laughs> Went to the bathroom and did some lines of coke. <laughs> it, it does get points for not having great really when, in it, I think. It's always great <laughs> when your date ends with someone crying in horror. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a date, isn't it? Um, final thoughts on Mother Derek. Uh, I Yeah, I think it's flawed. I, um, I only gave it an eight, actually, even though I've, I've praised it quite a lot. I think it's going to be a grower, and I'm going to think about it a lot more. I'll probably think of it as a little bit higher than that overall. But look, it's, it's a real jolt of creativity and energy by this guy, and um, I didn't know what was going to happen next, and I love that. I think it might be my favorite film of the year. Ooh. I think it might. It's either what that, about yeah. Dunkirk? <laughs> John is wearing <laughs> his Dunkirk shirt. T-shirt. Yeah, just and to needle me. You know, I've seen it five times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's between that and Dunkirk. That's and it, eight very, wasted hours, John. <laughs> very tight in the race at the moment, and yeah. it's both films made me feel very uncomfortable, which yeah. is obviously the thing of 2017. Mm, made me feel maybe. uncomfortable. Miller Kunis. Come on down. <laughs> How good was it that she wasn't in Mother? Oh, <laughs> it just would have sapped all life out. She's just such a... She's nothing. She's good. <laughs> she's in Bad Moms. That's close enough, right? Mother, Bad Moms. I, I have no problem. Do they call I, it actually, bad moms, I really yeah. like Mila Kunis. I think yeah. she's, I'm just saying she's very talented. Mila, we know you're listening. Uh, you're probably sitting next to John Hawkes listening to this. We like you, Mila. We're John just Hawks, kidding. John Hawkes, you're welcome, Mila Kunis. I'm not so sure yet. Yeah. Do, do get another you Oscar nom. Kick your about. bloody Jim Beam habit then come and talk to us. <laughs> Uh, this has been the Real Good Podcast. Uh, for more film-related stuff, for reviews from Derek mm-hmm. and myself, go to realgood.com.au. That's real with two E's. There's other podcast episodes. There's also another podcast called John Roebuck's Film School. Um, go along and we'll, we'll be back and pretty soon. reviews we- from me, go to illgood.com.au. <laughs> Our main competitor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be back pretty soon with another episode. We've got to f- decide which film uh, we want to do. Yeah. Let's talk do about Dunkirk it. again. <laughs> Later. Thanks, guys. Bye.